Welcome to Exploring Sovereignty with Elizabeth, where we gather heart-centered thought leaders who are curious, conscious, and exploring pathways that can set yourself free. And today we are in studio with Kim Witzek, who Kim Witzek is a drug and safety advocate, a consumer representative on the FDA advisory committees, reviewing new drugs coming to market. She's also an advertising marketing communications specialist and professional for many years. And she is a friend of the show who's been on previous shows. Her previous show, she generously shared with us the story of her husband, Woody, and how she became the accidental advocate and the role of how the legal system supported her becoming this accidental advocate and really taking skillful action to make this landscape more known to the public and consumers, but also to make the landscape um, a place that people can start to ask questions of and even supporting doctors, helping them understand this landscape. And today she's going to share a little bit about that journey, but please listen to that first show on all podcasts, podcasts on all platforms. So welcome, Kim. Ah, good, good afternoon. Thanks for having me again. It's Thanks. always fun talking about these issues. Agreed, agreed. I think, uh, as we've said before, you know, having knowledge is power and pro-information is a great place to start for many people as you navigate, like, what makes sense to keep myself in a state of sovereignty, a state of freedom, um, authenticity, what, you know, what works for one person might not work for the next person. And to be curious and conscious around that, I think, helps people. Absolutely. I think that is the almost the key to it, right, is knowing the questions to ask, being willing to listen to answers and not necessarily believe, like just the same as I always say, what I'm telling you, you know, take it in. But you should also, you know, go and do your own research and challenge even some of the thoughts that I might be giving you as well. So I don't think there's, that's the one thing I've learned is don't just accept what a doctor tells you, what, you know, all these authorities tell you without actually questioning it or sitting in, uh, sitting in the question or looking in the mirror, as sometimes I call it, <laughs> and being willing to to look at it and see if it works for you. I wish, you know, the last show we talked about Woody, mm -hmm. my husband of almost 10 years, who was a bigger-than-life guy who had just started his dream job with a startup company and having trouble sleeping. And, you know, he went – and he's a guy that needed eight hours mm. um, of sleep. It's just, like, it's funny. He would just fall asleep at a party because he <laughs> needed – I mean, I'd kick him under the table, and then I'd be like, what, what are you doing? Um, but he was a guy that always needed sleep. And and so he did what he always did, which, you know, if they – you know, when you break your – break your uh, wrist or he got stitches, you go to the doctor. And, you know, if I look back, Woody was a product or is the child of um, military. You know, his dad was in the military, a colonel. They traveled all over the world, lived all over the world. And I think he just had this belief, blind belief, in a, without ever questioning 
when, um, you know, what the doctor said, which was, hey, I'm not sleeping, doc. Here's, and then the doctor gives him a three-week sample pack of Zoloft, which is an antidepressant. And he just took it, no questions, because, you know, it came from the doctor, the guy in the white coat, who, what he used to always say, you know, they don't get paid enough because they put him back together. <laughs> so that was, you know, it's funny, that was his belief. Now, I might have a whole different belief even then, but than I do now for sure. And I think, you know, uh, Woody, if he would have asked some simple questions, if I would have asked simple questions, we would probably be in a whole different place. I wouldn't be sitting here with you, that is for sure. So I always say ask questions. It's about information. It's about transparency and, and really to know where people are coming from, you know, when you get information. Um, so anyways, Woody got the, the drug and was on it a total of, I was gone the first three weeks. He, I come home, he's telling me his head outside the body, crying you know, then calling the doctor. The doctor said, you got to give it four to six weeks to kick in. Woody lasted another week. And then he was found uh, with the, you know, he was found by my dad in um, hanging from the rafters of our garage. He went from not sleeping to head outside the body and dead in five weeks. So obviously that started my whole journey. It's what brought me on to the accidental advocate because I didn't choose this. It chose me. But, you know, we went out, got black box warnings that I think we talked about last time, which is, mm -hmm. you know, um, the most important or most, uh, you know, it is the most important drug um, warning. You should always find out if a drug has and it's the because there's serious harms or deaths associated. But, you know, we did that. And I initially thought this was just an issue with antidepressants, mm -hmm. right? And I soon realized it was a much bigger systemic problem with our nat nation's um, drug safety system. And it's a system that's built on commercial interests, um, compounded by issues such as lack of transparency, conflicts of interest, undue industry influence with PR marketing spins, using ghostwriting and key opinion leaders. You know, they manipulate clinical trials. Um, they use industry-funded screening tools, and I think we touched on it the last time, one of those little forms you fill out at the doctor oh, asking yeah. you, you know, in the last two weeks, have you felt sad? That is, um, that was created by a, um, a marketing guy at, at Pfizer. And so, um, the, and also the role of politics and the revolving door um, that exists between FDA, Congress, the industry, and the other regulatory ag agencies. Um, you know, just today it was announced, and I've been watching this, one of the guy who was ahead of, uh, at the FDA, his name's um, Dr. Billy Dunn. He was responsible for um, uh, the Alzheimer, the controversial Alzheimer drug. And he resigned all of a sudden, quickly after the FDA approved it. And I kept saying, mark my words, he didn't resign. He's going somewhere because he was a young doctor at the FDA. Sure enough, it was announced today that he's going to be on the board of directors of a big bio, um, biotech pharmaceutical company, just like the former um, uh, commissioner of the FDA, Scott Gottlieb, went and is now on the board of Pfizer. So, you know, all of this is going on behind the, the scenes 
when Woody just went to his doctor and took a pill. He knew nothing. But all of that, and so that is what I've learned. And um, That's a lot behind the scenes. I mean, for listeners who are just tuning in and starting to digest this, it's not like everyone involved is necessarily a bad person, but the system that's set up prevents full disclosure, transparency, and information is what I'm hearing you share with us. Absolutely. Like, you know, this is obviously decades worth of work that I've, um, that I have just outlined to you and, and your viewers, um, within a few, few minutes. But I, this was all the stuff that I learned the hard way. And it was really from going and to traveling and going to conferences all over the world where I was learning because I was curious. And I think last time I said, you know, whenever there's like a d- unexpected sudden death or a suicide that made no sense, you always got to dig deeper. And it's that sense of curiosity. And that's really what it was for me um, after Wood died. It became an investigation. And then I just like, it was like an onion and you just kept peeling it and peeling it. Or I always say like the golf ball where you start peeling <laughs> and you want to get to the bottom of it. So you just kept, keep unwrapping all of the unwinding, all the rubber We're going to have listeners taking off golf yeah. balls trying to figure that yeah. one out. Yeah. And so it's really like this is what I did. And um, but there is many, many lessons that I think even before we go into some of the other, you know, going more in depth in what I just talked about. I think there's lessons from Woody's story. Yeah, I think you're inviting um, all of us really like to consider when something doesn't make sense to pause and ask questions and get curious. And sometimes even, I mean, you were in uh, understandably extreme grief navigating that, um, those questions and and following a thread of curiosity and you had um, on the last episode we talked about your brother-in-law's role who was also um, deeply curious and willing to do a lot of deep dives into realizing that Woody's symptom patterns weren't isolated but they just weren't shared with the public um, until your lawsuit with Pfizer released those documents, which was a monumental moment for people who may be working with antidepressants or Zoloft or um, or any of that. But at the time, you thought, like, hey, this is isolated antidepressants. It can't all be bad. Um, and, uh, and, you know, while sometimes having some sort of medicine might be supportive of our healing journey, uh, I think sometimes we default to that instead of also backing up and getting curious like hey I'm having trouble sleeping and the doctor and their modality depending which doctor or practitioner or healing practitioner you go to their modality may be to subscribe a pill another person maybe say might give you breath practices right or might give you yoga I mean you know like I would work with sleep issues much different in my practice, then because I, I don't prescribe medicine, that's not my modality, that's not my area of expertise. Um, but for doctors, that is, you know, not all doctors, so I don't want to lump them all together, but that is sometimes a default. Mm-hmm. And Western medicine, when it comes to emergency room, to Woody's story, like brilliant, right? At putting people back together, broken bones 
stitches, right? And so Woody had a track record of like, hey, when I go there, I get better. Mm-hmm. And for our listeners who have track records of, hey, when I go here, I get better, who might not ask questions when a new pattern arises, what do you have to say to them? Like, Well, I really like how you, how you stated that because I think there was like a history, right? A track record. I like that. A track record of it going to the doctor, going into the place where you go to get healed, right? Right. And can't come out and you're healed. So what I would say when I look back and I've, you know, obviously doing this work and a lot of people have said, why in the world would Woody have taken an antidepressant? And, you know, now if he was sitting there, I would have, there would have been some different conversations. I think the different conversation would have, you know, would have said, oh, maybe do a little bit of work around why am I not sleeping or acknowledging that, oh, I just started a new job. I'm completely out of my routine. I'm start. I am learning a whole new business, all new customers, all new a way of actually living because, you know, he had a, a paycheck that came in every two weeks. Now he's in this, like, startup mode, right? So these are all questions we could have been, like, curious about uh, and then looked for other alternatives. And even, you know, then I go to the doctor. So let's say you are going to go to the traditional mode of um, you know, behavior that, you know, a lot of most people do go to, there were some things that the doctor could have, you know, should have had more conversation with Woody about, oh, well, you know, this is normal. Maybe we should get you maybe a talk therapist or maybe there's other, a sleep med, but, you know, to just give him a pill and say, this will take the edge off and help you sleep when Woody didn't even know that it was an antidepressant. So this is one thing I would tell your, you know, listeners is that when you get a drug, ask more about it. Like, what is it? What's the class of drug? Hmm. You know, I think if Woody would have known it was an antidepressant, he might have, that might have been enough to trigger him to um, to say, well, why are you giving me an antidepressant? I'm not depressed, right? Mm -hmm. So that might have been just the simple, um, the question he might have asked that could have changed the trajectory. Um, And there's also, you know, I always say, ask questions of, are there warnings? We didn't know there were any warnings. You know, all of that, obviously, at the time, there weren't black box suicide warnings, but there are now. And so for people who are being prescribed this or giving their kids this, they certainly better know or keep pushing doctors to give them the information. Because if doctors right now are not giving the information, there's no excuse because the information is there. Uh, but then I also go back and, you know, wish that I, as the, you know, his wife would have asked some questions too. And, you know, and not had just the, uh, belief of, you know, you do your life. I do my life. You're an adult. I'm an adult. You know, it's probably a little different if you, you know, you had kids. We did not. So, you know, I think that I just let him, you know, kind of go and and not really ask more questions on of the treatment choice but i'm not sure maybe i would have done the same thing back then too i don't know well you're brave to reconsider all these questions in light of woody's legacy 
And I know um, all the work you've done has tremendously changed the landscape in the last 15 years. So thank you for your bravery. And stay tuned with Exploring Sovereignty with Elizabeth. And we have Ken Witzik here in studio. This is Exploring Sovereignty with Elizabeth, and we have Kim Witzak in studio, who is a drug and safety advocate, the accidental advocate. Um, She has the nonprofit Woody Matters, and she's here today talking about her role and how it's evolved in the last 15 years since Woody's untimely death. And she is now in a position where she is educating doctors and med schools on the role of advertising and pharmaceuticals and how that plays into their profession and their work with people that they see and support and their healing. And she's also um, recently given some of what she's going to share with our listeners today at Washington U Medical School and will be traveling to Bath, England for a Better Way conference, which is with the newly organized World um, World Council for Health. World Council for Health. And that's a parallel structure that's emerged from the last few years um, with great resource for people who are curious and asking questions. Yeah, it's a great platform. And it's a global one. But, you know, really, one of the things that they're trying to do is also establish on a country by country, because ultimately it comes down to local and then ultimately you and I as individuals. So that's why it's a perfect conversation for what we're having today. That's beautiful. It's excellent. Um, so share with us a little bit, you know, when you were at WashU Med- Medical School, you and, and your background in advertising, marketing, and communications has led you to kind of look at the advocacy work you've been doing um, around the FDA advisory committees when you review new drugs coming to market and working with doctors. We're going to be sharing some slides that if you're watching the the video of this that's live streamed, there'll also be a, a link in the description that you can go to to see these slides on Kim's website. But um, Kim, share a little bit about what you the conversation you're opening up in the United States with doctors, which has been opened in other countries well before this. But you've been sure bravely chartering this. Well, it started with actually, I mean, a. I love to travel. So it started with a curiosity around uh, travel and going to conferences, academic conferences, where I, in other countries, where they were talking about uh, some of the issues that I had um, brought up in the previous um, um, session, where we talked about industry, you know, ghostwriting, key opinion leaders, and, and those are, and also the power of marketing and PR spins and clinical trials and all of this stuff I was learning. My, Of course, my mind's, you know, blowing, my brain's blowing up because I'm like, wait, this is my industry. This is my <laughs> like, how is it showing up here? Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> wait, this is so crazy. So there was one conference that all, that made such a big, uh, actually made such a big impact on my life. And it was one called Selling Sickness in, um, in Amsterdam. And where and it was put on by the Dutch government, put on by many nonprofits, and attended by people from all over the world. 
but a handful from the U.S. And every example for this two-day conference that they used talking about, you know, selling sickness or what it is, disease mongering or however you want to describe it, which um, was all about the U.S. or, you know, how we did things. And I was like, why? Why isn't this conference happening in the U.S.? So that's really where I started. And so I eventually brought the conference um, called Selling Sickness to Washington, D.C. in 2013. And it was really about tackling all these issues. But, you know, I think I have a really unique perspective sitting in the space that I am is that, you know, not only to have the personal thing, what happened to Woody, but I sit on the FDA, so that gives me another whole perspective. The lawsuit gave me another whole perspective. But my entire career has been in advertising and marketing. Mm -hmm. And so I know what we do to try to sell in campaigns. I mean, we're in the business of, you know, uh, some changing human behaviors, or some would say manipulating human behaviors. So I understand this business. So, you know, and there is that old aphorism, health is wealth, right? Yep. So when we're healthy, we can do everything we want to do for the most part. And sometimes our unease or disease gives us a new pathway or a new curiosity that we need to move through to come into deeper understanding of ourself. It's... But Staying in the cycle of illness makes a lot of money. Yeah. And it's that's, very profitable. And that's where, like, you know, if you go to slide one, I love this um, idea. It's selling sickness. It's a big – it almost is this big – it almost, like, puts a commercial spin on it mm-hmm. where it's, like, the sexy allure of pills, mm-hmm. um, you know, taking pills. And that's really what I see it as is that we're constantly being sold, right? And, and for the listeners, this is an image that is like a woman with lipstick, kind of like the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. I would say that reminds me of the Rolling Stones uh, album. I can't remember which album that is, but and there's a lot of pills in the mouth. With yeah, and it's glossy, glossy. it's red, it's mm-hmm. like attractive. You're just wanting it. You know, it's it's appealing. It's a, the sex appeal. But so if you go to um, yeah, a slide two, and I always say the sickness used to happen to you, to us. You know, now we live in a world where it's constantly being sold to us. We're bombarded by messages of new disorders, diseases, and pharmaceutical solutions. A pill for every ill. I do remember when I was uh, learning uh, developmental psych, and we were looking at that time at the DSM V4. It's evolved since mm-hmm. then. And we had to kind of go through different, you know, and look at different conditions or patternings or symptom patterns. And it was like all of us in our cohort were like, oh, my gosh, what if I have that? What if I have that? So this idea of like selling like, hey, this you might have this. Right? Yeah, I mean, I think that is a great example that DSM, um, which is the diagnostic statistical manual that's used to label or to give disorders for the mental conditions. Mm -hmm. And now it just keeps growing. We're on DSM-5 and soon 6. So anyways, it's constantly selling. So, you know, um, the next, um, like the next slide I have is that I used in my presentation is this idea of like, Selling sickness is a global phenomenon, right? Disease and medications are promoted. The boundaries that define illnesses are widened. Drugs are overprescribed. Doctors' offices overflow with people asking for more. You know, they've conditioned us to ask for drugs. And, 
you know, the, the s- and to think that that's the only solution. Yeah, that that's the only solution. And it's a really easy one. You know, you look at the selling. I always say that the um, the selling part of using selling sickness is that it reflects the reality that huge commercial interests are um, play a huge role in our health care. You know, drug companies are commercial enterprises. Um, they're businesses. They are they are beholden to their shareholders. That is, they're not beholden to you and I as the patient or the medical system. They're beholden legally to their shareholders. So we must never forget that. And that third slide really says, like the the quote on it for anyone listening is a pill for every ill. Yeah, and why? Because there's a lot more money to be made telling healthy people they're sick. Healthcare is a big business, and we're the customers. Yeah, and you know, I would even like tease this out for a, a, just a beat more. Is like there's a lot of things that are within our control that can help set us free. Like you know, whether it's our routines, our diet, our lifestyle, kind of low hanging fruit. Um, it's we've been conditioned to think that the easy path is a pill, mm-hmm. which might come with more symptoms. Or more medication. I've I've watched this with my mom who has struggled um, in that arena uh, with some mental health issues um, that stem back from, you know, things that were traumatic that never got fully dealt with. Mm-hmm. And um, it, I know how hard it can be to change people's tastes. And and I mean that, like, whether it's food, because our food is so connected to how we were raised and the emotions around eating that food and what happened and the memories that are connected to it. But that in and of itself can be such a powerful shift. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying it's an easy shift. Sometimes we think it's easier to take the pill than to change my what I'm eating that might be leading to it or easier to take the pill than to maybe start a new uh, movement pattern, our exercise routine. Uh, but if we can just like get curious and start to witness ourselves of like, oh, this brings me back into harmony and balance, and this takes me into unease mm-hmm. and further into dis-ease, mm-hmm. we have so much power and control and ways to get ourselves free from a system that is trying to keep us in it. Absolutely. You know, there's a lot of money invested in marketing to patients, consumers, the medical industry to keep us in that system. And it's no wonder why, like, Americans today take more pills than ever. We are 5% of the world population. We consume over 75% of all pharmaceutical drugs. Wow. And that's a huge problem when you start looking at it. You know, by the time we're into our 60s, 70s, 80s, people are on like 7, 8, 9, 10 drugs. And a new kind of structure uh, or a new practice in medicine is called, um, it's around the world word polypharmacy, but it's the practice of deprescribing. And that is really looking at 
um, people's medications and how many medications they're on and should they be on, is this causing this side effect that mm-hmm. then is getting mass here or elderly that go to multiple doctors and then maybe they spend the winters down south and so they have a doctor there and they have a doctor here and so there's nobody. And those doctors aren't necessarily no, talking to one another. No. And so consulting. And so there's a whole practice that's being um, that is kind of come out of all of this selling of sickness, this the promotion of pills, and that is deprescribing. I mean, that to me is um, frightening. And you look at you know a lot of these as especially in the elderly when they get more and more pills, the falls that are really susceptible that are really more of a side effect from. The drugs. So I think this idea of being curious and also like there's some power when you think, wait, I'm a consumer. Like that's why, I mean, my patient advocacy people hate when I say this because they're like, no, we're patient patients. And I'm like, no, like I'm not a patient. I'm a consumer. And they, and it, and, and how long do we have to be patient? Yeah. If like, it's not working. Yeah, patients. But and, I, and I mean, like, the, the value pa- yeah. of patient. Well, patient, if you think about the business model, mm-hmm. right, the business model is cradle to grave. Mm-hmm. I mean, what? who wouldn't want to be in a business that you have something for everybody from the time they're in in utero, right, and pregnant women, all the way up till the time you die. It's a b- beautiful business model if you're trying to sell uh, pills and sell the treatment and sell, sell, you know. I mean, well, it's granted, always, we need it. Right. There are times we need it. So yeah. it's not to say it's all bad, but like just the system. And mm-hmm. I think, yeah, that's why when. I've uh, always been a little curious too about why these monumental points in our life cost the most money, like birth, death, you know, if you decide to get married, like all these things that. Uh, are a natural part of living, and yet they, it's like the things that, I don't know, there's a lot, a lot of money wrapped in there, to those processes. Yeah, absolutely. and Can be. And can be, right. Um, but, you know, I think that, that it's really important. And, you know, then if you go and truly understand that how much marketing influences it, um, the U.S. is – one of only two countries that in the world that allow direct-to-consumer pharmaceutical advertising. So we can, we can advertise directly. Yeah, to consumers. And, and the other country is New Zealand. Hmm. And no other country are they able – no other country are they able to have direct-to-consumer. Now, they might get other kind of advertising, right? And there's advertising to doctors, and we'll get into that um, in a little bit. But, you know, there's – but advertising's power because it creates this desire, this need, this, this environment that asks you questions like, oh, yeah, my elbow's joint. You know, like, oh, yeah, I've got restless leg syndrome. <laughs> I do have restless. Oh, that's what keeps me up. I can feel the, the pulsing. Well, it already primes you. So you're, if you're one that without being curious and you're like, oh, I'm just going to go get a pill because there's clearly something wrong because I'm, they haven't, they are advertising on TV. This is where we get an opportunity as um, sovereign individuals to maybe take a step back, ask the question, be curious around it. Like, am I being manipulated? And, you know, and I think that is something when you look at 
the fact that we're one of two countries that allow it, it's amazing. Because I remember I worked at an agency in town in Minneapolis, uh, one that was well-respected around the world. And I remember saying I was going to go to the FDA and be testifying against direct-to-consumer advertising. <laughs> and and I know it's our industry, and I come from Fallon. So th- the, our industry journals and media is probably going to pick up, you know, is going to cover my story. I knew. And, of course, they did, both Ad Age and Ad Week. But, you know, and Pat's like, fine, go. And he, the reason he said it is because I don't believe in drug. We never had any drug ads um, at our agency. And the reason being is you had to have a middleman, the doctor who actually prescribes it. So I can't really change your behavior. Elizabeth, because you still have to, I can't like incentivize you to go to the pill because you still have to go to a doctor. I, you can't just go to the counter or a Target and buy it. So that was his reason for not taking it, not necessarily the reason I would say not doing drug ads, but it was very, um, very interesting. And uh, direct a- consumer advertising is big business too. You know, it's created all these uh, side businesses around production companies and the media and the media and the news reporting. So it's, it is, we have to remember money talks. And when we return with Exploring Sovereignty from Elizabeth with Kim Woodsack, we are going to maybe delve a little bit more into what you have to share. And do doctors even realize they're part of this huge system? Like if I want to become a doctor with these altruistic visions and hopes. What do I need to be aware of and why? Stay tuned. This is Exploring Sovereignty with Elizabeth. We're in studio with Kim Witzek, who is a drug and safety advocate, the accidental advocate of Woody Matters. And she's here talking to us about how she's been sharing the wider landscape with med schools and doctors and healthcare professionals, as well as consumers, aka patients or clients, Mm. um, who about like the landscape they're actually navigating, the behind the scenes that comes with um, drug safety and drug curiosity uh, for people. And uh, Kim, can you, I know you're going to kind of share with us how doctors have been responding when you were at Washington U giving this presentation and, and other places that you're venturing, but can you just share with our listeners how they can learn more about you for sure. a brief moment? Um, if they're curious and, and they, after this segment, want to reach out or get involved or ask questions. Absolutely. They can reach me at kimwitzak.com, W-I-T-C-Z-A-K. And on there, I've got a contact, but I also have a, a lot of information as well as where I've been. And then I also have a substack, Acceptable Collateral Damage although I call it unacceptable. Um, And that is going to have, I'm going to be putting up the Washington um, University Med School presentation up and all the slides so anybody can go and take a look at the presentation as soon as I receive it from the med school, as well as you can find me on Twitter at Woody Matters. Awesome. Thank you. So you go to Washington U this spring, and this is the spring of 2023, and you're presenting to doctors and you know med students who are 
our next wave of doctors around how advertising is in the pharmaceutical industry is actually um, shaping their role and their ability to care for people. And, um, you know, so, so what happens? Like, you know, how is that happening and, and what, what's the response? Yeah, it was a it was great to go. Um, I think I opened eyes, so I brought up different elements. You know, I think to really start with, we all believe or we've been told that our research, just starting with research, like so, it's not just marketing and advertising like we just talked about. It's also like all of these like. Um, clinical research. Who's who's behind the clinical research? It's the companies. It's academic institutions that they work at. Because you know, I you know, if you're a researcher, or you're a doctor um, at a university, you have to go find your own funds. And guess where this funding is coming from? Pharmaceutical companies. And so all of that as a doctor. So there's a bias there's in a the bi- funding and yeah. in the research that gets done. Because if I take money from a pharmaceutical company. That doesn't necessarily leave me in a neutral landscape. Right. And I'm not even sure that there are people like, so let's say you're a top um, oncologist um, out of WashU. And I might hire, I might contact you and say, hey, Elizabeth, you know, we're, I'd love for you to be on our, like, we're going to do this conference, um, the big association conference in Vegas. Um, We would love for you to speak about what you do. So you are being positioned as this expert. And it's a whole thing called key opinion leaders. Hmm. And the power of key opinion leaders actually comes from the marketing department. And so, you know, I brought up examples of that during my talk. Uh, I also brought up ghostwriting, right? And, And asked people if they knew what ghostwriting was. Well, and I was lucky enough through the documents that got out from under seal, where Pfizer had an entire marketing plan, the publication plan, which is where our doctors go to read the research, where it might be in the Journal of Pediatric Psychiatry, it might be in JAMA, the Journal of American Medicine, it might be in the BMJ. And so you go there, but anyways, they had their entire publication plan um, where they were going to talk about Zoloft with to do with um, childhood, I think, social anxiety. They knew exactly when it was running, who, um, what days, the title, but they had a few places where it needed Dr. TBD, author TBD. Well, they wrote it, the companies wrote it, but now they just have to go get doctors to put their name on the journal as if they wrote the journal. So... It's not necessarily something I wrote if I'm the oncologist, the specialty oncologist it, or mental health practitioner in this case. It's what the advertising company has written. And they're saying, hey, you're, a, you're one of the top people in your field and your name's well-respected. Will you put your name on it? Yeah. I mean, that could be one thing or it could just be the speaking. Key mm-hmm. opinion leader at a speaking is mm-hmm. one thing. It might go and find that you're a doctor and they can pay you money. It's called um, ghostwriting. And so it's not even written by the advertising. It's more there's publication companies that, that basically it is a form of the marketing department. Got it. It is a form of the marketing department. So, you know, and then even like clinical trials, right, where – People don't realize, we always hear it's all about research, research. That's why drugs are so expensive. But the reality is pharmaceutical um, companies spend $480 billion every year. 95% of it is marketing 
and 5% is research and development. And, you know, so science and um, medical research can easily be perverted for marketing purposes, which it is. And so, you know, at the end of the day, um, it's about, and, and everything that we're being told, and as I was telling the doctors, like this idea of safe and effective, is it really safe and effective? Or is it the marketing who's behind it that's helping craft a story, right? And so ultimately, when I look at all of this and how I ended my presentation is I left it on a slide of the spider web. And I've created it as a spider web <laughs> and with the patient and the doctor and a pill in the middle. And then it's all the other things that are going on behind the scenes, such as you've got um, like you've got advertising marketing, which is obvious, but you have fact checking agencies, you have the medical journals, you have the CDC. These guys are all forms of the marketing. You have patient groups, you know, like the National Alliance for Mentally Ill or um, American Cancer Society that you think are av actually advocating for you, the patient, or you, the person. You, these We call them astroturf. They're not all cr created equal. Astroturf, like grass, isn't really grass, but it kind of could be like grass. Mm. So it's this idea of the lens in which you look at when you hear somebody is behind this treatment or this product. Um, almost every one of my FDA advisory committees when um, different organizations come, and they are always like, "Well, I don't, I don't get any money from this," but they, but they do get funding for their organization. So it's a lens, and so I'm always trying to educate the doctors that they're being marketed all the time. And like a spider web, it can trap you, right? But spider webs are also beautiful, right? You don't mm -hmm. even see them; they're sticky, and they, you know, capture you. They're, I mean like the screening forms when I was talking about the PHQ-9 form and they were like, what? And so I, you know, several light bulbs, you could see the light bulbs and also the feedback that came back from um, the people who were in the audience. And I think there was like a hundred in the audience and then it was broadcast live to about a hundred med schools around the country. Light bulbs were going off and I did have two people that I love the story. They came up to me and they're like, this is the first, they both have accents. And they're like, this is the first time I've heard anybody in the US actually bring this and say this. And I said to him, I'm like, where are you from? <laughs> I go, you're clearly not from. And I said, it's funny that, you know, one was from England and the other one was from like, I don't know, Copenhagen or something. And um, I said, yeah, because guess what? I learned about this in your countries. Hmm. I go, we don't talk about it in the U.S., but it is a U.S. problem, and it's such a big problem. Like, it, it, is, it infiltrates everywhere. Like, the academic institutions that they work at, you know, years ago, Senator Grassley and st was investigating, did congressional investigations into the, the monies that were flowing from pharmaceutical companies into academic institutions, and all of that, like, perverts science. And gets used, is it science or is it marketing? You know, it's that, and that's why, um, so I think, you know, and even medical education, how, who's, these guys that, you know, I was shocked during this whole time that I'm like, doctors don't learn about the spider web. They don't learn about how the FDA works. Because if you don't understand the system in which you're going to be practicing as altruistic as you want to be, you have to be aware of what it is, what's going on, so that you know how to, as a physician, 
operating in that system that you can be smarter, that you can also give better advice, that maybe they won't just say a pill. Maybe if they understand like, oh, whoa, I see where I'm, like I'm being sold, like positioned and pitched to give this prescription, like what happened to Woody, they might have said, you know, instead of saying, um, you know, this will help take the edge off and help you sleep, which is what they were out promoting the marketing of the drug reps, Hmm. they might be able to say, oh, maybe you should go home and take a nap or go exercise or go see, you know, uh, do yoga breathing, go, you know, Mm -hmm. so, but they don't learn about these other systems. So that is what, you know, I think before we even go and talk about what is the parallel system we're building? Because I think we are the last couple of years. What I um, there's a lot of things I've hated about it, but <laughs> what I have loved and think is a good thing that has come out of it. It has shined a light on what's been hidden in plain sight. Yes, and I and think, what we've been in. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know I feel like there's a lot of doctors just in the COVID um, situation. That have started to be like thinking it was just on the COVID and they're like, oh, wait, I have been in this system. Wait, maybe everything I've been taught has been corrupted with science or corrupted with marketing or influence, not even corrupted, just influenced. Mm-hmm. Let's take the negative word out, just influenced. Mm-hmm. And so I really want to see, I want conscious doctors. Mm. Imagine, because we need them. Mm-hmm. We need them. And we also need, like, what if we just had a society of conscious? Like, we need we need medications, too, mm-hmm. that they can be life-saving. Absolutely. And so we need them. But let's it's let's not be sold to and, you know, and, and th- not resp- – so I feel like there's a whole level of conscious um, consciousness that has to be brought from the – from the dark into the light, um, mm-hmm. and that's what's kind of happening right now. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, that's and my goal with um, you know going out and speaking to med schools and and I told the, um, the 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 head the department chair that came to me and invited me. I said, "You are a very brave person to have somebody like me." I, you know, and and totally and what he knows that he's been operating in this system, and I think for him. It was about what if I bring other people from the outside that can give a different perspective because he's not teaching this. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and again, I told the people at the audience from the onset, I go, you can challenge me. I don't care. This is just my perspective. Kim Witzak is an average everyday person who lost her husband, has spent her entire career in advertising. I sit on the FDA. I had a lawsuit. These are the world in how I have seen and – be open to it, but also be curious and see what fits. It's it's quite stunning and amazing how your grief and your curiosity has alchemized into this pathway of like, what have I been operating in? What's been hidden in plain sight? How has that um, kept me constrained? And how can I step outside of it and start to shine a light on this? get free of it, and help others start to, like, have space to question what they might have been wanting to question but didn't know how to. Absolutely. And I think that's at the end of the day, we should all be, you know, feel safe in a space that we can question what we've been 
taught the dogma that we've been taught in anything, right? Totally. And and be willing to be connected with people that might have different perspectives. Absolutely. Just because, you know. But I think that's how you learn, right? And it's yeah. that tension of teasing it out. But if you're, you know, the last couple of years we've been told, nope, can't come together. But it's really about what it is, is letting us come together, two sides that don't necessarily see things eye to eye and have a conversation. That is where the wealth lives is in conversation and being open to with an, uh, listen with an open heart, mind, and spirit. Yeah, great creativity flows from many perspectives, being in connection. Thank you so much for all the work you're doing and everything that you're exploring as pathways to set yourself free and help us set us ourselves free. This is Exploring Sovereignty with Elizabeth, and we have Kim Witzak. Thank you for being with us. Talking with heart-centered thought leaders who are curious, conscious, and exploring pathways to set yourself free. Thanks for having me. 